Welcome to Lead to Succeed, an interview series with business leaders about economic growth and leadership in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The show is produced by InvestUp, the leading regional economic organization for the UP. For more information, visit investupmi.com. Here is the host of Lead to Succeed, former CEO of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, Steve Arwood. Welcome to the latest edition of Lead to Succeed, a conversation with UP business leaders brought to you by InvestUp. And today we have John Jamar, President and CEO of CCI out of Iron Mountain, Michigan. Welcome, John. How are you? Well, thanks. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. And uh, I'm doing just fine. You look like you're doing fine as well. Yeah, I can't complain. So, John, just uh, uh, just kind of by way of introduction, can you give us kind of a brief overview of maybe a little bit of the history of your company and and um, what your core kind of services and industries are right now? Sure. Um, two uh, lifelong residents of Iron Mountain Kingsford founded uh, CCI Systems as cable constructors back in the mid-1950s to uh, uh, design, build, and operate cable TV systems. Um, they uh, eventually fifties, the fifties, right, right. In the fifties, I, I I'm surprised the cable TV went back. Well, they, they were they were the pioneers in the industry. Uh, Jim Clungus and Charlie Henry, and um, they built systems across the Upper Peninsula, Lower Michigan, into Wisconsin. Uh, they it was before satellites, before uh, color television, before um, anything we think about now. Of course, cell phones, uh, laptops. And so there was terrestrial microwave that interconnected systems, their own and others. And so they actually owned a company called what American Microwave. What could you Microwave. watch on? What could you watch in 1955 on this cable? System? So, so the the um, when they started selling televisions, they were black and white round screens, and you yeah. could get UPI International, Kaiser Broadcasting, maybe one or two of the what were the original stations? You know, maybe ABC or CBS, but it was a, a very small number of black and white channels. I'll be nice. They they were actually uh, were, were trying to sell uh, televisions and they had a, a tube replacement shop and couldn't sell televisions because signals were too bad in the in the area. So they built a, a small cable system over time in Iron Mountain and other towns in the Upper Peninsula. Over over in the in about the eighties, they sold the cable systems and uh, had the construction company and, des and and design company, cable constructors that was left over. Um, I graduated from Michigan Tech in, in 83. Matter of fact, I started at Cable Constructors as a drafting co-op kid in high school in 78, 45 years ago. And uh, we, we um, by uh, when I, I was here full time, uh, Jim and Charlie um, uh, divested the company into what is called an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And so we've been an ESOP for about 38 years. Very, very stable, employee owned, 100 percent employee owned company. Um, headquartered out of Iron Mountain, and we're, we're broken into five business units. We were broken into six, but divested one as of April 30th of this year. And we design and build broadband networks. We operate networks under the name Astria in 70 small towns around Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula and into Lower Michigan, operating a, a substantial fiber uh, uh, infrastructure that supports those and, and other networks. Uh, and also um, operate uh, GuideStar, which is a uh, separately branded cybersecurity business. Uh, we've got about uh, about 1,400 employees today, and um, uh, uh, just probably in the range of about 500 that are in the the region around Iron Mountain. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, just out of curiosity, I it, you know you said something that was it was kind of old but new and current that. 
the company started because there was so little connectivity to um, kind of the outside world um, when it came to the, you know, the, the budding television. And fast forward to today where it's a, a continual issue and in, in the upper peninsula, but I would say rural America, um, so little connectivity to high-speed broadband and internet. And of course, in the UP, we all know the cellular network is uh, um, spotty, uh, depending on where you're at. Can I, I mean, maybe we all have our, you know, opinions on why this is, you know, small population centers and all, but the amount of money that's been going into this the last couple of years from the state and the federal government, um, is it making a difference? I mean, what do you see? Can you, I mean, what, what, what do you see happening and what do you think needs to be done to speed right. this up? Some <clears throat> so there, there are, um, let's start with the economic viability of building a network. So um, a network costs a certain amount to build per mile and it based on conditions, uh, it can vary, but by and large, it requires a certain number of potential subscribers, commercial, uh, residential, uh, institutionals, in order to create revenues that'll support the fundamental cost to build a network. And so America was built since the, the 50s and CCI has been designing those systems nationally for themselves and other people and, uh, and operating them in some cases. Um, in areas where where the systems have been economically viable, and they've been evolving over time. The the days of the of the one way video entertainment um, RF systems that were just daisy chained amplifiers, very low reliability, are gone. Uh, today, uh, those networks have been largely upgraded to what we call hybrid fiber coax, largely fiber based, and then of course they've been built out uh, with pure fiber, what we call passive optical network. And, um, and so from an economic standpoint, once uh, the density of a, of a geographic footprint is, is sparse enough or low enough or under a threshold of economic viability, a network isn't really built. And so you're left with what is what we call a DSL network that we're all familiar with that the phone companies were operating. Uh, remember, of, of, you need four kilocycles to, to operate a, a phone, a phone uh, uh, transaction. You know, when, when you're trying to d deliver one gigabit speeds, you're not going to do that on a twisted pair from, from, the, from the 60s. So, so um, there was an economic glitch to try to reach what is probably about 20 million households nationally. Um, and so the government's been stepping in since the Biden administration and with the BTOP program, and there are all kinds of acronyms and probably programs before that. There were programs before that. But lately, the government has really latched on to the idea that it's it's acutely valuable for um, connectivity, communications um, um, and entertainment, but also healthcare, um, commerce, um, uh, safety, um, uh, uh, all, all kinds of activities on the internet that are that are critical, maybe as critical as other infrastructure like water, sewer, and electricity. And so mm -hmm. governments put an enormous amount behind what was called the RDOF program, the Rural Digital um, Opportunity Fund, which is about $9 billion. Uh, and again, that's the portion that sub sub uh, subsidizes what the private company will also place, uh, invest in order to build out into uneconomically viable rural areas. And now the newest is the BEAD program. Uh, uh, it's the Broadband Equity AD. I can't remember all the acronyms anyway, but the, aside from the, the vegetable soup or whatever, the-, the yeah. uh, that's, that's good at that. 
That, that's in the range of about 42 billion, Steve. And, and yeah. people are people like CCI and others are competing for that. We'll we'll select an area and say the least amount of support we can um, we can uh, uh, we're, we're, that still allows it to be viable for us to invest in building. And we're a very small player, but across the nation it might be 100 billion, and that's a, a largely you know guest number. Um, that will be invested into promulgating and bringing uh, broadband out to the most rural parts of America. In the in the sense of the UP, because I'm sure you know it like the back of your hand and where things work and where things don't, and where you know systems dead end and no pickup. Um, it, what just is a back of the envelope estimate that what it would take economically to just kind of close all those holes and say there. Um, there is no hole. So, so there, um, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of um, a lot of ways to estimate numbers that lots of smart people are putting out there. Um, there's, there's one. The recipients of the RDOF funding are receiving somewhere around 180 million plus whatever they're investing in addition to that to build out some some substantial portions in the UP. There'll be more in the BEAD program. Uh, the BEAD program. Um, will be of the 42 billion, just over 1 billion of that will go into Michigan. I don't know that anybody knows what component will go into the Upper Peninsula, but it'll be in something supplemental to that 180 million that's already been awarded through the prior ARDOF program. And there are others that are investing. We're still we're still investing. We just put you'll laugh at this. We we just put one gigabit service into into uh, Amazon with uh, Amazon Michigan, right? Extending our massive system in Crystal Falls. And so so there are still there are still good old folks with their own capital building this stuff, not waiting for yeah. the government to come yeah. in and try to make it better. You know, heaven forbid. Um, do, do you think that? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, do you think uh, the the subsidization of this is will work? And is there kind of like a period of time where you see this coming together? That, yeah. So a couple um, quick questions, Steve. So it'll work. It'll it'll work to a large extent. Um, there are three factors to provide internet to everyone on Earth. Number one is the economic viability of having a network near them, but then also the affordability, so that even if you pass somebody that's of a low demographic that uh, can't support the cost of the monthly service, they still may not be able to buy it. And the third is, is digital literacy <clears throat> might be a household where they're just, uh, they're not interested in, 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 in adapting to it. The government is also funding right now programs that will uh, assist up to $30 a month for people that do, that uh, otherwise have an economic challenge uh, connecting to a rural system or, or maybe any system. I think rural is what we're focused on. Uh, and as far as uh, digital literacy, there are a lot of, of groups that are, are looking at bringing people up to speed with uh, modernization, the simplicity of, of seeing value out of that kind of connectivity. Sure. Mm -hmm. So those, those are the those are the barriers from a time frame standpoint. You mentioned, Steve, you're looking at probably over the next. Uh, well, this is humorously broad, but three to 10 years, depending on how near somebody might be to a system that's already being built out. Uh, we're designing all over the nation <clears throat> for RDOF recipients now networks that were never built before, uh, passive optical mm -hmm. networks. And, and those are being built today. So, so those are some of the earlier expansions of what we call edge out of current networks. Mm -hmm. what, what do you see as the, I mean, the subsidies there, there's the build up plan, but then technology constantly changes and there's different competing technologies and, and somebody says, oh, you got to go fiber. Somebody says, well, you know, power based. And, you know, and, and as you do this, knowing that you're, you're diving into kind of an economic black hole but for the subsidy, uh, you know, people probably wouldn't be doing this. What's the sustainability of a system 
that is being built on a subsidy. It, it, boy, isn't that the truth? It's really important to think about um, the, the cadence of technology rather than the status of technology. Um, so one of the big disadvantages of the government, and this is an opinion, is that they normally focus in on something for a relatively short period of time, pour funds into it, um, are, are well intended, and then move on. And so their, their sense of the history is limited, and possibly the sense of where things are moving forward may also be limited. Now, I'm, an, I'm a, a capitalist, entrepreneurial uh, mindset where when something's economically viable, I want to find a way to be the best in the world at delivering it uh, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and supporting the capital necessary to do that with regular business means. That, that requires that, that we understand the trajectory of the technology. Now, I will say this, that from a fiber standpoint, um, the fiber that's being placed today will be expandable into a much greater speeds than, than are currently being delivered uh, without any kind of dead ends from a technical standpoint that are. Well, the existing today. fiber has, well, I would say unlimited, but it has futuristic yeah. it's, capability. It's, it's uh, uh, technical um, technical disruption of fiber is, is largely de-risked right now. That, I think that's a safe statement. Right, right. And, and, and wireless providers would scratch their heads and say, how come Jamar's not talking about us, darn it? And uh, there, there, are, there are still uh, tremendous um, uh, opportunities for wireless guys to upgrade their networks, and especially using fixed wireless from 5G upgrades, even competing in, 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 in dense commercial areas against uh, pond networks or upgraded hybrid fiber coax networks. Uh, in in the largest of cities or, or the the towns we're all accustomed to, yeah. what do you, what do you do with that? And I think in looking at some of your corporate literature, I think this is part of your business. If you're a um, business in the UP and you have uh, you know a, a board mill or a remote operation and needs specific data um services you've got to run scatter you've got to run you know big files and there's just not much around there to connect to how, how do you go in and, and, and kind of surgically deal with those issues if I, you broke up a little bit what i'm thinking steve is you're looking at a let's say a small enterprise that has multiple locations and they want to be able to communicate securely and efficiently and be able to pass data and applications among um, collaborative groups that are all disparately located all over the place. Is that, is that a safe? Yeah. Uh, and in places that have very little connectivity. Uh, yeah. So, so we're places that have very little connectivity, it's, it's hard to answer other than waiting for, for the government programs to fund uh, the, the, the deployment. Um, we, we have um, everybody working from home and, and a third of our people are international. And uh, we, we were, we had some people working from home even before COVID started. Um, since then we've got, mm -hmm. a, we've never put mandates out to people. people People can, can work based on what's most functional for them and for their teams and their training. Most people elect a hybrid approach and, and work from home largely. Um, uh, some of us that have been around forever, like, don't know how to leave the office. So I'm, I'm, I'm here all but the cot is here, Steve. I don't know if that's where you are, too. But but um, we... we um, it's a home office, but I'm in an office. <laughs> there you go. We, we, look, we think about what we call a software-defined network or an SD-WAN uh, wide area network. And, and so the idea that uh, somebody like a CCI can help um, a multi-location enterprise or institution uh, be able to have secure uh, connectivity among, um, uh, you know, broadly based uh, outposts and, and be able to have the bandwidth and the management of, of the availability of both data and applications. Um, uh, on, you know, on real time as people are collaborating is, is very um, 
common technology today. Um, your your uh, condition that it might, what if some user is in a, in a remote area, um, if, if there isn't cell coverage, do we use a hotspot or something? It comes back down to what all of us have to deal with if, if it's not there. Now, there, there are low, low Earth orbit satellites, uh, LEO satellites, uh, Starlink and what have you. And of course, when you're out of geosync orbit, that means your, your gravitational pull is greater. And so you've got to go faster than the, the rotation of the Earth. So all those satellites are moving faster than the planet is. And so the technology is to hand off data connectivity from satellite to satellite on a mesh of thousands of satellites is what's been developed. Um, and the latency associated with the distance the satellite is from the Earth has, has been improved substantially by that, that reduced or orbit level, um, and and um, you, you'll you'll see that the the, the connectivity costs initially um, are a little higher for that that service, but that that's certainly an, an option for ultra rural uh, unconnected uh, people out there to, to use a, a low Earth a LEOS is what we call solution. As major employer in Iron Mountain and. and you know that part of the upper peninsula i mean you're dealing with uh, a lot of hr issues fundamentally finding keeping retaining training people uh keeping them in the up uh keeping them fresh with the latest technology how's that going for you i mean you know the secret that most business owners ceos leaders that i talk to say you know, we're just constantly trying to recruit, retrain, and retain. Right. Um, what's your uh, thought on that now? And and where do you see where maybe as a matter of policy, just kind of falling down on some of these things? Yeah. That, so um, lots of great questions unpack. Um, uh, first of all, it's it's uh, the, the the strangest thing, and that is somebody that already lives in the in the Upper Peninsula or in Iron Mountain, uh, we found it very difficult to, to ask them to relocate near a customer base where there, there may be a demand to do that. Once people are here, they love to be here. On the other hand, we have employees that we'd love to have moved to Iron Mountain and they don't want to move here. It's like it's like a it's like a dog that lives in the house, doesn't want to go outside, and the one outside doesn't want to come in the house. It's all what we're accustomed to. And I haven't, I don't think any of us have solved that one yet. That sounds pretty remedial, but um we we've we believe that that um boy, when you get talent in the, in this market, you need to have a a, a package. Of delight at the uh, at work, uh, teams that are respectful, a compensation and benefits that that are realistic and uh, have upside with success, and training that's available uh, either internally or with partner organizations or some of the universities. We we partner with some of the local uh, school, uh, like the intermediate school district. We also have activities with some of the universities. Um, you have to get creative. Um, and I believe that you have to be creative no matter where you are. Um, I, I do know this, the, the people, we had a Los Angeles office and before COVID hit and everybody uh, had a hard time getting to the office, we said, well, let's try working from home. Now, this, this is going to suggest that we're, we're solid C students here, Steve. We, so we, we sent them all home and we had the, the technology available for them to be able to um, work securely and remotely. And it went beautifully. Everybody, all the engineers were working from home and happy. It never dawned on us until COVID hit that maybe we could do that elsewhere and save on, on occupancy. It was probably the four hours they spent trying to get to 
the office well, back out in LA. Well, was, uh, exactly. The, the logistics about living in the UP. I mean, I'm building a house right now this morning and I had a little fender bender with my truck this morning. I dropped my truck off to get it repaired, ran out to the build site five minutes away, uh, watched the concrete guys and, and, uh, and found out what kind of beer they like to drink for later. And then still got back in time for meetings at eight o'clock and, and to meet with you. I mean, there's a tremendous value uh, to being in the upper peninsula from that standpoint, the level of security, uh, the quality of life, the things that I think we take for granted in the brand of the Upper Peninsula that maybe we're not promoting like we could as far as a quality of life, especially with our medical systems that have gotten so much better in the last 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, there aren't many things wrong with living in the, the Iron Mountain area or the Upper Peninsula or Northern Wisconsin. What, what kind of people are you hiring right now? Well, you're out in the market probably all the we're we're looking yeah. for um, who are you hiring? What, yeah. what are you looking for? We're we're looking for people that um, we're looking. We're always looking for program and project managers, uh, people that can uh, handle a relationship with a with a third party. Um, we're we're bringing aboard people that have uh, fundamental computer skills, especially in in uh, in GIS or or AutoCAD type of uh, applications. Uh, we're always looking for uh, da data and. Um, uh, development IT people, as well as um, uh, cybersecurity professionals. Um, we provide a managed cybersecurity service for small and medium businesses, really anywhere in the nation and remotely. And so bringing people aboard that have that uh, some background and that inclination and uh, are interested in some training, those, those kind of people we bring aboard. We're also finding that they function pretty well no matter where they are. I was on with one of our accountants recently, and I said, I have to ask you, Nick, where are you located here? And he said, "Well, I'm down here in Nashville, or wherever it was. It might have been Mike, but but um, you know, we've we've grown accustomed to working remotely, yeah. and so that that can be good for people that want to have a rural environment in the Upper Peninsula to live. But it can be also um, a challenge for people that are now very able, much more able to to port over to a different employer. So we we are we're um, leveraging that in our favor. We think, Steve, and and uh, uh, finding finding that we're adding a couple hundred people a year. You know." Uh, you're, you're kind of diversified across a platform. I, I was looking at your your different units, and there's an underlying kind of similarity of skills and stuff. But kind of a, a, kind of well balanced. I mean, you know, obviously cybersecurity wasn't anything we thought about 30 years ago to much degree, and that's you know. Uh, where, where do you see the growth for your company? I mean, if you were to look ahead ten years and say, "I think this is, um, I think this is the area of probably the uh, the most dramatic growth possibilities, maybe of of the company." Yeah, great question. We're we're currently one of our uh, great uh, growth engines is is mapping out. Uh, the uh, and designing the networks that are expanding across rural America, and then also um, uh, mapping out and designing the networks that that are being upgraded uh, across the remainder of urban America, and mm -hmm. uh, that that continues to expand substantially. We're automating a lot of the components of the process to stay ahead of our competitors, and um, and the market has gone from a very fragmented, large number of uh, providers like CCI to a relatively small number, and. Uh, you know, if you if you work hard enough to solve problems better than anybody else, you can dominate and, and beat competitors. And I I like to win, <laughs> so we, that's that's one of our areas. Uh, also, cybersecurity is enormous, and a lot of people wait till they have a fire uh, before they uh, get the sprinkler system, or they they wait till they've had a few accidents before they put the light light system in at the tough intersection. 
we we're we're finding that that's the case with some people that don't realize that that the the uh, the hacking and the and the cyber risk is more substantial than maybe they think it is and and uh um being able to get somebody in you know, like cci that can um detect um prioritize and and uh patch vulnerabilities across your network also um uh, team up to realign and structure a hierarchical network and then also to forensically be able to analyze uh, if there's been an intruder and, and whether they're still there, what they've done and what they've touched. Um, those those kinds of things uh, uh, used to feel like those are big companies where where the profile would be attractive to somebody. These days, it's almost anybody. And and I we try to not be alarmists uh, about it, um, uh, but um, it, you know to be able to help uh, in an automated fashion from somebody like us can be a lower cost than having the internal IT and you know you know personnel to be able to hand it, handle it. Uh, uh, directly or in-house for a smaller and medium business. Do you think uh, you think by and large the companies in the Upper Peninsula take this seriously? Um, I, I know there's a the, depending on what you do, you obviously have to take it seriously. If you're a healthcare provider or something like that, but for the the the, the kind of typical you know ten to twenty five person shop. I mean, are they are they are they onto this? Are they taking it seriously? Are they being proactive, or is this one of those things? Well, it may happen to us, and if it does, they do something to do. Um, so some are, and some aren't. Um, we, we find that um, companies that have uh, substantial governance, uh, as a, as an as an ESOP, as an example, we have substantial governance because of compliance with the uh, ERISA and the law and what mm -hmm. have you. And and that raises things to the service at uh, service at, at a board level. Um, we we may punch above our weight class uh, because of that. Uh, there are other companies that um, are required to be more compliant because they're working for larger corporations that demand it. Maybe they're exchanging data and they have to be touching each other's networks. That's how we initially got into it. Became NIST compliant, 800 series NIST compliant, because our larger customers required it. And actually, as we became compliant, we beat some competitors that didn't take it seriously. So, yeah, I think those are a couple of the real triggers that a company will 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 feel that that um, it might move them to compliance. Uh, but that's a good question. I, 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 I don't know uh, what the what the real um, um, actuarial information might be on on how how much people are, are taking that seriously or not, Steve. It's a good question. Uh, you, you mentioned you're building a house and housing and the lack thereof is a, a, a huge issue across the country. And, and not just the UP or, or the lower Michigan tends to be everywhere. And it's housing that runs the gamut from low income housing up to market rate housing and it's just it's all over the map we need all types of housing um have you sensed that a lot of the people that are either working for you or you're trying to get to work for you recruit or whatever are having trouble uh finding places to live that fit what they need um yeah. in the region down there Yes, we we uh, so all I have is anecdotal uh, conversation and what our uh, organizational development team tells me. But um, it, it's a real challenge right now to find um, housing that is um, um, I don't know how to say it in good shape, um, nice condition, nice uh, environment. There are, there are a lot of fixer uppers out there. They say 
but um, it's a, it's a real challenge right now. Um, and um, in looking for uh, uh, various contractor components for the our build, um, people are saying they've never been busier. It's hard to get people to schedule you in to get your concrete poured or for you to handle the roof. Um, the people we're talking to are saying that there's double the activity there were just a year or two ago. And it seems like uh, we're always a little off the curve. You know, we, uh, interest rates were 3% for a mortgage a few years ago. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's, you know, building and needs a home and whatever they are, 7%. So, so um, you know, we're, maybe we're all not the sharpest knives in the drawer, but I think. That, <laughs> well, uh, I was there, brother, because we just moved into our new house a month ago. And. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I caught the wrong end of everything, <laughs> but it was a it was a long term plan that, uh, like you said, um, you know, but concrete and and you know the the cost of materials, not to mention labor, are just they're, they're incredible. I think you're exactly right. The the it it feels like the the beginning of the best of times for this for the Upper Peninsula. We've we've got a crunch where can't get enough housing. We've got um, a nice diverse base of of businesses. Um, it, at least in the Iron Mountain area, we're seeing some some real build activity happening now. We've been uh, enjoying very low unemployment for a long time, and I, I've often asked, "Where's all the infrastructure build that this ought to be driving? Everybody's employed, you know, there ought to be homes going." And it just feels like it's starting to happen now. It's exciting, um, and and I think that, that if we get that in rhythm. Uh, the economic development people down here and in Marquette, I know, are fabulous, and probably elsewhere in the UP. Uh, and uh, it's just a matter of balancing the infrastructure, the, the training, uh, the diverse co em, uh, employment base and uh, maintaining our quality of life and and, and building a, a brand and a, and a statement that can be put out there that's compelling to people that have had enough in other parts of the country, can work remotely from somewhere like the Upper Peninsula or come to work somewhere mm -hmm. like CCI. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be a cheerleader, but I, I do believe we're at the beginning of what can be a long, sustained growth pattern for the Upper Peninsula. Well, we appreciate the cheerleading because we believe what you believe. And I just maybe is a, a, a last thought for you. I mean, you have people that are located all over the country, and I'm sure you have people that might be located in places where uh, the climate, as it continues to be strange, um, record heats, you know, continual wildfires, uh, storms that have become abusive. I mean, do you ever uh, get a call from some of your remote employees that say, "Hey, um, the 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 climate stability in Iron Mountain looks pretty darn good. <laughs> you got room for me up there." That's right. What do they What do they say, Steve? There's no such thing as bad weather; just bad clothing. You know, if you yeah if you the, yeah if you got the gloves, the boots, and your ears covered, you could pretty much handle anything. I uh, I, I think that 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 bell needs to to ring a little bit and and resonate. I I don't have a lot of people that that call and say, "I can't wait to move to Iron Mountain right now." Um, I, I have some people in Tennessee that are very happy down there and, and have a, a friendly banter about the only thing better in the UP might be the Green Bay Packers, maybe. <laughs> but but um, we and of course the Lions. But but uh, we uh, we uh, um, we're not hearing a lot of that yet. Um, that's part of that dichotomy. It's um, if you're not here, you're not that interested in coming. But if you are here, you don't ever want to leave. I, I'm I'm not sure I can you know yeah. define why that. Yeah. Well, we just got to come up with more reasons for those 18 to 34 year olds to stay. Boy, that's a and that, yep. that's, and, our, that's a demographic challenge for all of us, I think, but we'll get there. Well, John, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I really appreciate both the, uh, the, the technological level of the conversation, which I must say I followed pretty good. 
And then uh, just the uh, your your frank insights on uh, doing business in the UP and and in Iron Mountain in particular. So uh, we wish you all the best of luck and uh, take care of yourself. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Thanks for thinking of us down here and at CCI and in Iron Mountain. And uh, just uh, uh, blessings to you for all the work you do. Let's uh, let's uh, make it a better place around here. This has been Lead to Succeed, an interview series with business leaders about economic growth and leadership in the UP of Michigan. This show has been produced by InvestUp, the leading regional economic organization for the UP. For more information and to check out additional episodes, visit investupmi.com. You can also download the audio-only version wherever your major podcasts are found by searching Lead to Succeed.